Hi, it's David Poland. This is the hot button number 108. Again, <laughs> Oscar in pieces. Piece three. Okay, started with a broad piece one, followed by a Will Smithian piece two, and now my friends and foes, the show. There was pretty much one surprise winner on the Oscar show on Sunday night. No Time to Die won best song over in Canto's Dos Oranguitos, likely fueled by the idea that Disney had misstepped by not nominating We Don't Talk About Bruno. So that part of the long day journey into the 847 Los Angeles night was pretty much par for the course. Dune and Kanto and Cruella were the only other winners that came from films that audiences actually saw much of. The decision to have eight films left off the live telecast turned into a double mistake. First, the show went three hours and 47 minutes, so the effort to hold to three hours was missed by a country mile. Second, the way they put the tape moments into the telecast varied and stumbled and bumbled along. By the last ones... They may have been cutting to people who were not even in the room when the actual awards were given out. They didn't save much time, but they undercut the living spirit of the show. Of the three hosts, Wanda Sykes came out the most unscathed, as she did the least work. Clearly, there were actually the least shtick. Clearly, there was an effort to give each of the three members of this three-act, which they created, a specific show personality. Amy Schumer was endlessly apologizing for her weight and playing the dumb white girl. Regina Hall was positioned as the single woman on the make, and Wanda's character was kind of like just being a lesbian. Living out loud, as she mumbled at one point. Later, her King Richard joke was pulling tennis shorts out of her genital area. Classy. I feel a little shocked that my friend and shiny thinker, Manola Dargis, Dargis sorry, seemed to give this feel-up gag performed by Regina Hall a pass. I thought we were kind of past those moments. Of man, I gotta go get a man! Like a cartoon. Simu Liu and Tiffany Haddish did a flirty thing on the show that actually played nicely with two newish faces. It wasn't gross. Of course, Haddish still ended up playing dumb. Amy Schumer had her moments. I thought she looked rather unsettled in the opening triple monologue. Uh, she had that kind of don't take it badly smirky face that is not an Amy Schumer signature. If she pulls it out, it's usually to emphasize a fuck you to the butt of the joke. Like she's mocking them even further. But not Sunday night. She was clearly more comfortable with the Will Smith, after the Will Smith fracas. fracas. Um, but then she went on a whole thing about, she actually did a, a tribute to the um, Governor's Ball winners. Couldn't pronounce Hirschholt, which I guess is forgivable. Uh, but the show squeezing the honorary awards into 25 seconds, that was kind of offensive. And then Schumer topped it, or bottomed it, by immediately undercutting the importance of those awards by adding a throwaway, was she trying to be funny, mention of Ukraine and women and trans people losing their rights? I mean, what the fuck was that? But that was the kind of night it was. The list of other obvious mistakes was long. Opening a live show with a pre-taped music video is stupid. And if you liked it, bless you. But a as a choice for a live event, it will always be a stupid choice. Why did Daniel Kaluuya need an escort to give out supporting actress? The Best Picture nominees had 20 seconds or less of clips each for each of them. 20 seconds. And so they were and all chopped up, of course. Worthless and disrespectful. The entire direction of the show, the literal direction, was a mess. Too many close-ups, too many poor efforts to create motion with multiple moving cameras. Does any, if you looked at those, or uh, to the, uh, their big Encanto, live Encanto, which is a complete mess. Um, there was a globe spinning around in the background. Any idea why? 
don't think anybody else did either because they didn't kind of tell us. But that was the kind of night. The audience was left guessing on a lot that evening. Uh, that whole five, top five cheer-worthy moments. The Matrix bullet dodging from 23 years ago. Jennifer Lawrence singing from 15 years ago. Avengers assembling from three years ago. They got one in for Spider-Man because he has his DVD coming out. And then Flash entering the Speed Force from Zack Snyder's Justice League of Excrement. Sit on it, Potsy. What was the idea, much less the purpose here? No no mention of Twitter either, by the way. I'm sure they're thrilled. Uh, Wanda Sykes touring the Academy Museum, acting dumb for almost no laughs, which included a reference to Kinky Boots, the stage musical, Billy Porter, and not Kinky Boots, the movie, which was Chiwetel Ejiofor, because no one knows a damn thing about movies in this whole group, and noticed nobody noticed the inconsistency. Chris Evans introduced a trailer for his movie in a pre-tape that somehow referred to an award that was just given out live. Weird. The last dual joke that was just idiotic and mean, but really only as mean as taking shots at the three of the nominees before Amy Schumer just plain rooted for Coda. Glad she loved the film, but she's a host, not a fan. Changing the stage and the music every hour, like no one good thing was good enough. And the Dancing in Memoriam segment that featured three dead industry members above all others left Maya Rudolph and me looking kind of eh. Personally, others may disagree. I hated what they did to Liza Minnelli, who is a trooper's trooper. But I know the moment in that life that I saw, the physical challenge of age, unable to remember the short-term things, and being an object, not a full human being. And she still is and was just a couple years ago. This is not how I want to remember her. Bless her. I mean, really, I hope she comes back strong, but she seems well into the roller coaster of adult dementia and does not seem to be coming back. It's very unlikely, unfortunately. But why roll her out there and just have her mumble and get it wrong? It was just embarrassing. Um, overall, the show never had a rhythm or a beating heart. Will Packer's a smart producer, but he had no idea what he was doing last night, Sunday night. It was a show where you could take your moments, but so much more was wrong than right that it wasn't an even deal. I did love the producer of Drive My Car stopping the band to speak a little longer. Jenny Beaven gave a great speech, excepting for costume. Beautiful speeches from Jessica Chastain, Troy Kotzer, C.N. Hedder, Questlove, and of course Joe Walker, editor of Dune, who should host the show moving forward or maybe even play James Bond. I love seeing Elliot Page. Not an extra word about what was going on with her needed to be said. The Pulp Fiction bit was probably the best of the reunions, though Coppola, with two silent partners, which was very odd, got through with his, converse, with his conversation, which was emotional, but again, for a very specific older audience. And where the hell was Quentin in that bit with Pulp Fiction? They could have hired a great magician to have him emerge from the glowing box with the envelope. He was missed. Okay, now, that's enough about the show. I've almost put myself to sleep writing about it. I've been, and I've been watching the show, replaying it to keep it fresh in my mind as I was writing about it. Enough. So let's get to the really least important thing that happened in the Oscars. Netflix lost. Netflix lost. Oh my God. That's so meaningless. And Apple won. Very exciting. And okay. Who cares? Will what Netflix stop chasing the Oscar? Probably not. In six of the last 10 Oscars, the Boonerv Best Picture surged into a late lead in the season, or so it felt. Being an early frontrunner is really hard unless you are, by the nature of the film, an overwhelming frontrunner. 
The one strategy we have not seen from Netflix in this late entry of their is the late entry of their top title, being the upsetter instead of the upset T. So what happens if Netflix decides to drop the awards chase? Nothing. Pretty much nothing. Unemployment for a bunch of staff and consultants, all of whom will find similar work elsewhere before the next season. Will it change the Oscar story? Nope. Same as if the Academy put a stake down as a theatrical first award again, as it had been for 80-something years. Streamers who would want to play would adjust, and those who decide that it's too challenging now would not. Is Apple going to win every Oscar from now on? Unlikely. It's actually more likely that they'll only have one ever. I'm not suggesting they can't do it again, but the odds are not some sort of given that they're going to have this happen every year. By the way, this marks the sixth year in a row where neither Cynthia Swartz or Lisa Tabak was the top driver of the campaign for the Oscar winner. Both have driven many, many Oscar nominations in that period and had great success. And Moonlight, for instance, started with Tabak on it when then she got more focused on La La Land as that season progressed. So it's very possible that either super consultant had a finger in or out of the pie for these last six winters at some point. Of course, Tabak has been fully with Netflix for four years now. She was all in, for instance, though, on Spotlight in 2015. So, you know, that she was the last one to win of that pairing of those two remarkable women uh, at people. And they happen to be women. Does this mean anything? Well, what it doesn't mean to me, as some unkind backbiters have claimed, is that they can't close the deal. That's just silly and ignorant. If it means anything to me, it means that the Oscar season has changed and that pulling down the front runner late in the season is now a bigger strategic move than it's ever been before. There have also been more years in which the level of competition is just not what it used to be, and that is the quality of the and the experience of the films more than the issue of box office, which is becoming a bigger issue again with so many streamers in the season. I've said before and will say again of Netflix that they have gotten behind some great filmmakers and made very good films, but they've mostly made those awardsy films when filmmakers can't get funded for traditional theatrical release. They have not gotten the best. And if you're going to try to run a movie from September festivals to an Oscar win in February, March, or April, oh good, you better have the undeniable killer. I reject all mockery of The Power of the Dog, but I also recognize that it is the kind of film that in the past would get nominations and be thrilled to win a couple Oscars, never expecting a win. It's not a feel-good movie. It's not a clear, easy narrative. It's an adult film by, made by a filmmaker who has made films for adults exclusively through her august career. Anyway, a twist this way or that, and Roma would have won four years ago, no matter how much the PC police tell, you, tell us that Green Book was evil, it was a crowd-pleaser, it wasn't racist or homophobic. It was just old-fashioned. And maybe that's what people think now is racist and homophobic. But, uh, yeah, it's 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 too much. The Irishman was super long and perhaps the slowest Scorsese movie ever. Mank was trying to do too many things at once for the audience to care. Remember, no matter what it is, you need to have, quote-unquote, the movie. And what that means varies. Coda became the feel-good story of the season with very likable talent and the country learning how to applaud in sign language. Every pejorative that has been aimed at it is true for a significant percentage of the audience. But on the other hand, almost no one hated it. Nomadland last year went wire to wire in the most intensely pandemic-bent season. Plenty of people hated it, but there was also love and none of the other movies ever stepped up either. Either they couldn't figure out how to campaign their movies best or they had more detractors about their movies and then they had the best director phenom chloe Zhao, really 
being the person that everybody was focused on, which they leaned into all season. Parasite had Bong, and Bong became the best story of that year. Parasite was the, an unusual best picture winner, reminiscent of The Departed when Scorsese locked in for director and the violent but well-liked film was pulled along by that. Sometimes one can see what makes a movie the movie. Sometimes one cannot. But does this Oscar season loss have a real or lasting effects on Netflix? None. Does this Oscar win with a Sundance pickup, Matt Dentler, you go, baby, make Apple an Oscar regular? No. Is Amazon next? Could be. But the question there is whether it'll be DeLuca and Abdi making that happen from scratch or they'll wander into a perfect pickup. And no one knows. They could stick with DeLuca and Abdi, end up winning with a pickup anyway. Or in classic Hollywood style, they could leave Amazon, DeLuca and Abdi could leave Amazon after three or four years and then have one of their left behind projects win. Showbiz, baby. It's happened before. This becomes a story of Netflix makes a big change. I do wish the ambulance chasers would crash their cars, though, without physical injury. And that is it. I hope to never write about most of this ever again. Thanks for putting up with three newsletters of this year's Oscars, the second lowest rated in history, the most effed up in history, never to be forgotten, except for all the awards and winners in about 72 more hours. Yeah, that was a little cynical. Sorry. Until tomorrow.